Um, the reason I'm as well as I am now is because I have such a great team. So like I said before about having a GP, that is like quintessential in mental health treatment to have that. And then to be kind to yourself. Med school is brutal. Uh, Doctor training is brutal. And we have enough people telling us we're not good enough and we're not trying hard enough. We don't need ourselves to be telling us that as well. Are you a health professional wanting to explore all the options life has to offer? Then you've come to the right place. The Balanced Medics Handover podcast is all about living outside the box of what we've been told. I'm Isabella, your host, a junior doctor from Australia and trained coach. I'll be interviewing health professionals from all walks of life, artists, authors, non-clinical specialists, and more. These stories show that our choices are endless. Let's take the journey together. This is The Handover. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Balance Medics Handover podcast. This episode, we are privileged to have Dr. Chloe Walters here to share her mental health story. Chloe and I met in medical school. She's currently a pediatric trainee, and she shares her mental health journey to advocate for mental health and fight against the stigma of mental illness as a doctor. I'm so grateful to have her on today, and vulnerability is truly powerful. Without further ado, let's hand over to Chloe. Hey, Chloe, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. Um, thanks so much for coming on and, and sharing your story. Yeah, no worries at all. Um, so we start by asking you to share your own journey um, in your own words. So do you mind starting about your medical journey first and how you got to where you are now? Okay, well, um, so I went to Western Sydney University, same as Bella, and um, I graduated and started working at Westmead Hospital as an intern. Um, Ended up having some uh, time off due to um, health issues, which we're going to talk about later. Um, But I wound up moving home to Newcastle and doing my resident year uh, part-time. So I did that over two years. And then I was lucky enough to get onto the pediatric training program, uh, which I'm currently in my, uh, due to part-time, I'm currently in my end of my first year of training. And why peds? Uh, I decided I was going to do pediatrics when I was in my fourth year of medicine. Uh, it was my absolute favorite term, um, favorite term. And I think a lot of it was when, a lot of the time when adults are sick, they're pretty miserable. They don't want to talk. They just want you to try to make them better. But with kids, they can be suffering from leukemia, and but they got a new colouring book. So all they care is they get to play with their new colouring book. And I just find it so inspirational the way so many children respond to illness and how they just focus completely on the positive side. Oh, I love that. I haven't heard that perspective. It's really great for you to share that. Um, now, you already touched a bit on taking time off internship, moving into part-time because of health reasons. 
uh, I saw, I first heard about it through social media. Um, this year you posted a video that openly shares your mental health journey. Can you tell the listeners about your recent diagnosis and this part of your story? Yeah, sure. So I struggled with mental health uh, issues throughout med school. Um, I was diagnosed in my second year with having depression and having generalized anxiety disorder. Unfortunately, uh, I got very little help. Um, We moved all of the time thanks to rotations, so I didn't have a um, consistent GP. I did not have a psychologist that would actually listen or help me. Um, And I did not have a psychiatrist at all. So when I, I, I got through med school, um, I didn't have to repeat a year, so I made it all the way through. And then when I became an intern, I was running on fumes. Um, I've had major issues with insomnia where I just won't sleep for days at a time. Um, so everything kind of, everything kind of came to a head on a shift I was working when I was on vascular surgery and I'd been feeling terrible for weeks. I was absolutely miserable, but I had the coming Saturday off and I was going to go, go climb, go be in the mountains, which was always my happy space. And on 2 PM, 2 or 3 PM on the Friday, I got a call from uh, the uh, roster people telling me I couldn't, go away that weekend um, because I had to do a 14-hour shift on the Saturday. And that made my brain crack. Um, I had a very supportive colleague who took me to emergency, got me um, seen by one of the ED bosses who was absolutely lovely, and they basically sent me home to Newcastle. I had nine months off work. About three months of that time, I was admitted to hospital. And I was admitted due to severe depression to the point of suicide ideation and self-harm. During this three-month stay in hospital, they put me on every single antidepressant under the sun and nothing worked. Um, It was only when they finally put me on uh, Lamotrigine, so a mood stabiliser and an antipsychotic, that my brain finally levelled out and I got better. Um, I would like to say that that was the end of... um, me being in hospital Um, but over the last two and a half years I've been in hospital three or four times and um, the treatment that they finally found that works so I haven't been in hospital now for over a year is I actually get treatments with ketamine which is a really new uh, treatment for uh, the depression side of bipolar. Um, 
and I am I am my psychiatrist's miracle stu- uh, miracle patient uh, because I can go from the blackest steps of my depression, have one treatment of ketamine, and I am completely back to normal the following day. So yeah, that's a bit of an overview of what I've been going through in the last five to ten years. Yeah, I just the first thing that comes to my mind is the resilience that you have um, in, I guess, pushing through and getting, you know, being like, I just get through medical school kind of thing and you you manage to. Um, and in internship, you know, not sleeping, but still pushing yourself to show up to work and to do what you had to do. Um, and I think it just shows that medical students and doctors are very resilient people and it got to the point basically where you had to go to the emergency department where you were finally able to get the help that I guess wasn't as available to you beforehand. Yes. Um, it's even with that um, time in hospital, um, so that first time I was seen in ED, the ED consultant I talked to was a woman and she was – the most understanding person I could have spoken to. They wanted me to a psychiatrist to see me at well at that same time. And yet when the psychiatrist saw me, rather than looking at the last five years of incredibly poor mental health and depression and even mania, um, he told me that um, didn't need any treatment because I was upset that I had an argument with my boyfriend the week before and he pinned my entire presentation on that um and I'd like to say that was an isolated incident but even though now in November of 2023 I have a phenomenal medical team it that took years to get into place there are so many people I talked to and tried to get help from tried to have people listen to me and they just didn't didn't take um didn't take me seriously just assumed I was you know uh, lazy and not trying and not putting the effort in um yeah it's been I'm very lucky with where I am now uh, with my health team. And, yeah. 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 Um, thank you so much for sharing and being so vulnerable with your story, um, which leads me on to what I wanted to ask you next. What prompted you to publicly share your diagnosis and, and what happened? Sharing, um, sharing my story was something I'd wanted to do for quite a long time. Um, the, <laughs> One of the moments that made me certain that I was going to do it was um, that first time I came home as an intern um, and had the nine-month break off work. Um, my dad wanted to show me, my God, I keep losing my voice. So, um, yeah, that first time I came home and I was, wasn't working, I was actually just having time off, my dad showed me a TED Talk. And it was about um, electroconvulsive therapy, which is a treatment that I have had. Um, And we we were basically researching to see what we could understand about it. And the person giving the talk 
was a man in his late 40s who was a surgeon. And he talked about his experience with severe depression and how he went through ECT and ECD helped him get better. But he just had this moment where he said he scheduled all his surgeries for the afternoon because he physically couldn't get out of bed in the mornings. And on hearing that, I had to stop the video because I was crying. Because as to hear a surgeon who were known to be like, seen as like the top of the medical pyramid in terms of like how hard you have to work and your motivation and resilience you have to have, to hear a surgeon turn around and said, I can't get out of bed in the morning. Just finally, I... I felt validated for the first time that maybe it wasn't something I wasn't trying hard enough. It wasn't that I wasn't putting in that effort is that I actually have an illness that is preventing me from doing what other, what the normal things that other people can do. So you, you wanted to share and the TED talk had a, a huge impact on you hearing his story. What, what do you think is beneficial of, of you sharing your story? Um, with other people right now? Um, I mean, I hope that it helps some people with the story, um, the stories that I tell and the videos that I post. Um, I guess I just, even if it's just one person who turns around and said, you know, thank you so much for sharing this. This has helped me so much. Like even if it's just one person, then it's entirely worth it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and unfortunately, there still is a stigma around mental health, um, and especially for doctors. Why, why do you think doctors feel the stigma um, and there's this culture kind of, of pretending it's all fine? I think because we're taught on day one that that's what we're supposed to do. We, you know, in that first lecture we ever had in med school, we're told uh, you will get sued you are likely to harm if not kill someone, you are highly likely to develop a mental illness. That was what our dean said to us on our very first day of med school. So they're telling us it's not okay to be weak. It's not okay to be vulnerable. You know, if, if you're developing an illness, that's your fault. That's you not trying hard enough. So they, they cram it into us from day dot to make us believe we have to be superhuman to get through that degree and then to actually work as a junior doctor. Yeah, it makes me think of the hidden curriculum um, that it's not written in the textbooks, but you do get that that other culture taught to you from people above, from those around you. Yeah, exactly. Um, when you were diagnosed... What were some of the emotions going on in yourself? So I believed that, um, so I have an anxiety disorder that's separate, but the depression, I believed that I had depression for four years and I was used to feeling the depression and having that match up. That's what they're telling me I have. But the 
actual time I got diagnosed with bipolar, it fit into this other ways that I've acted. And um, so, like, one of the big things with bipolar is um, risky behaviour. Uh, like, money, like, really poor control of money. Um, the talking really fast, the flight, like... Um, thousands of ideas going through our head every second. So when I finally got that diagnosis of, no, this isn't actually depression, this is bipolar, it was like, oh, that makes so much more sense in how I've acted in certain ways. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a huge relief, actually, to get that proper diagnosis. Um, so now I'm able to like monitor my behavior so that I can pick it up really quickly if I'm behaving in a manic way um, so that I can straight away call my treating team and be like, I need a treatment, um, whether it be ECT or ketamine. Um, I can pick it up quite quickly now. And yeah, so it's just been a huge help getting the correct diagnosis. Yeah, it must. And it kind of links to the TED talk of of realizing there's nothing, you know, wrong with you as a person. It was finding the right diagnosis and the right treatment and getting the help you needed. Um, did you always feel that you could speak so openly about it? No. When I first showed symptoms um, was when I had a panic attack at, uh, the work where I, I used to be a gymnastics coach and I walked out of my class to go outside and had a panic attack and I'd never had one before. Um, so I went, oh no, okay, I've had a panic attack. I need to go to see a GP so I can see a psychologist. And I did that straight away. But this GP I saw didn't look at me, um, didn't see that I was still shaking post panic attack and instead she gave me a DAS form to fill out, so depression anxiety scale. And when she marked it, she again didn't look at me and just said, you have severe anxiety, severe stress and extremely severe depression. Would you like to go on medications? And that was it. That was someone telling me that I had depression for the first time. And I was furious because I refused, refused to accept that I had an illness. I could accept anxiety because I had a panic attack, so that made sense to me. But the depression, that took me another four months until I first started thinking about self-harm. And at the end of those four months, I went, oh, okay, maybe that doctor was right. Maybe I do have an illness that needs treating. With your diagnosis of bipolar, you're so open about it now. How did you overcome those kind of feelings of, of maybe not accepting the diagnosis in yourself? How did you overcome that to be able to so openly share? It took, it took a long time and it took one, getting the correct diagnosis, but also I think the biggest part was accepting that I didn't do anything wrong. I 
it's a real illness. It's as real as, you know, someone, someone who has diabetes. That's, um, that one's from my mum. Whenever I've complained about having bipolar or said it's not fair or blah, blah, blah. And she'd just compare it to if I had diabetes, I'd have to take my insulin every day. And no one would turn around to someone with diabetes and tell them, you're not trying hard enough to control your sugars. Like, it's it's your fault. So that took a few years to make myself comfortable. I did my first video actually while I was in my fifth year of men's school, but I never shared it because I just, I just wasn't ready to. And I guess what changed this year is when they found that ketamine is like a miracle cure for me, I got my life back. I didn't need any time off work. Um, I was consistently able to go into work. If I, if I got unwell, which, which has happened throughout the year, I just call my doctor's office straight away. He reviews me usually by the next day and I get a treatment the day after. So sometimes I need only like two or three days off work and then I'm back doing what I love. Thank you for sharing that. And it's just great to hear for anyone out there who, who is feeling like they're not comfortable to share it, uh, their story or not comfortable to say what's going on and that it's perfectly understandable. You also, uh, so we, we shared a bit about medical school training and not being completely prepared for what was to come. Um, I started training. I tried. I started medical school before you, actually, because um, I had a I had a year off in between. I forgot you did, didn't um, you? Third and fourth year. Yeah. So my my speech was actually not completely the same. My speech was more look around you. You were number one in your school. Um, you're not number one anymore. So that that was my speech. <laughs> but yeah, I I did feel that I wasn't prepared for. Um, mentally for internship and the challenges um and there is some truth I guess in that you you will make a mistake in medicine um and that it's a it's a hard job that emotionally affects you and that's perfectly normal as well because we are human absolutely um but I guess the resources to manage that weren't weren't shared not in the slightest yeah, not in the slightest. Which we're changing, though. We're trying. We're working on that. We're getting there. I wanted to ask you, what is your current hope for mental health in medicine? I want mental health to be seen the same way any physical illness would be seen, and to get there, we need more than oh, here we're celebrating mental health. Have a pizza day in the. Uh, in the common room, like it needs to be embedded in what we do because we're so we're, like, like Dean told us on day one, like we're such a high risk to developing mental illnesses that it has to be like 
from the start of med school all the way through, we need to be having conversations about this so that no one turns around and goes, oh, how embarrassing. I've been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder or whatever else it is. They need to be completely supported all the way throughout. So they go, oh, crap, I've got this diagnosis, but I remember the lecture. Here are all of the things I can do. Here, you know, every med student should have a GP, a GP they can consistently go to so they can look after the stuff that is the long-term issues. So, so many steps, I believe, we need to take. Um, But it just needs to be so much more at the forefront of our teaching and of our training. So it's not this abnormal thing that, oh, someone needed help with their mental health. Yeah, Yeah. remove that shaming, um, othering of someone that, is struggling with their mental health because I do believe every single doctor and medical student has had some kind of struggle absolutely, um, in some way mentally. Uh, I have myself with burnout and, um, and probably anxiety um, in medical school. If you, if you reflect on it, I think a lot of people probably go through without just kind of self-managing. I think doctors are good self-managers. Um, but you're right, having your own GP, having someone there that can take that caring role um, so you don't just continually care for yourself. And it makes me think of preventative medicine instead of focusing on the point where you're in crisis. Yeah, exactly. Building up those skills in medical school. So that is also my dream for, for mental health and medicine. So um, it's really great to, to hear more people talk about it. What would you say to the listener currently who is struggling with mental health in medicine and and not really sure what to do next? So they need to know that none of it is their fault. It is not something that they have done wrong. It is just a a hand that they have been dealt. Um, The reason I'm as well as I am now is because I have such a great team. So like I said before about having a GP, that is like quintessential in mental health treatment to have that. And then to be kind to yourself. Med school is brutal. Uh, Doctor training is brutal. And we have enough people telling us we're not good enough and we're not trying hard enough. We don't need ourselves to be telling us that as well. So, yeah, to not, to not be remotely ashamed of a diagnosis you might get. It is the same thing as whether you have diabetes or a broken leg. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and hopefully someone listening can, can get some help from that and, and – and some value. Um, I also wanted to add that I'll share in the show notes links for where you can get help if you need it. Um, now I asked this of everyone, what is balance to you? Uh, balance in my life, I guess is means medicine isn't, is no longer at the forefront of my mind. Balance is having 
a healthy relationship with my partner. It's doing the things that I love in my spare time, my, um, my rock climbing, my playing music, going to, going to the beach. So I still love medicine and I still hope at some point to finish my training and be a pediatrician. But it's just not everything anymore. And I think medicine, like in university, we're taught that the only way to get through is if medicine is the one and only thing that we focus on. And I just don't think that's true anymore. I think to have a healthy and have a balanced life, you need to do all the things that you love and be with the people that you love. I love hearing your perspective of balance and yeah, sharing that medicine isn't the be all and end all uh, and to value other parts of your life and other roles of your life. Um, now, is there anything else you'd like to say that you think would benefit the listener? Um, I guess just that I have uh, a TikTok page or account or channel, whatever it's called, um, where I share lots of different aspects of having mental illness and what it can mean. So if anyone wants to watch those or reach out to me with any questions whatsoever, I am super happy to chat. That's great. Thank you so much. And I'll put those links in the show notes for anyone that wants to reach out and, and yeah, just maybe have a chat or ask anything. Uh, thank you for being open to having people reach out to you. Uh, so that's the end of the show. Thank you so much for coming on. And I'm really grateful that you were able to, to come on here and share your story so openly. Well, thank you very much for coming. You've been listening to the Balance Medics Handover podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, I'd love for you to take a minute to rate and review this podcast and click the follow button. For more resources, check out the Balance Medics website. The link to this will be in the show notes below. See you next episode.